Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome back to this week's In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And I'm your host, Kim Bilotto. We have a great show this week for you. We actually have the immediate past chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, David Porter, with us. But first, I want to talk to you about who is on the cover of the latest issue of Shale Magazine, STEER. STEER stands for South Texas Energy and Economic Roundtable. It is an organization that has members of some of the largest operators that are working and drilling in the Eagle Ford Shell. So we had a great opportunity to bring this great organization, their mission, and their, quite frankly, great team uh, to the front of our readership. So that way uh, you can learn about the organization, understand a little bit about what their role is. But I also, within this organization, want to encourage you Uh, Every year they have an awards ceremony and they're looking for the best of the best of companies in the area of community and social investment, environmental stewardship, safety performance, and the Steer Impact Award. If you know of a great company or if you have a great company focusing on those areas, I do encourage you to submit your nomination or submit another company's nomination to Steer, S-T-E-E-R-E-F-E-A.com and nominate them. Now, it's time for us to catch up with our resident energy expert and associate editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing today? Excellent. You know, we've had beautiful weather since Harvey, and my beach house looks like it's coming along. Uh, We're almost through all the renovations, and it looks like Harvey never... Never hit us. Unfortunately, I can't say that for the rest of the neighbors and, yeah. and the surrounding county. It's going to be quite some time before it gets back, but uh, beautiful weather. Uh, the reason why I bring it up because we've been there all week working on it, so it's kind of close <laughs> to my heart right now. <laughs> I bet it is. Yeah. Well, I want to jump into things because, um, you know, the week before we were talking about uh, maintaining, rig count was slightly going up, and, you know, within one week or so, We've had another, now we've had a drop in rig count since last week. Um, And so this time by 15 rigs, so that's a total of 22 rigs in two weeks. And that's a pretty significant decrease. Uh, Is this a trend or what do you see happening here? Yeah, I think, uh, and and yes, I think the answer is it probably is the beginning of a trend, although I I don't think it's going to be any kind of a collapse in the rig count. But probably over the next several weeks, we're going to see continued slight drops in that rig count. What, what's happening is uh, these management teams at these uh, big corporations that are drilling most of the wells are have uh, they're coming under increased pressure now from their investors to stop focusing so much on maintaining and increasing their overall production and reserves and start focusing more on uh, return of investment to the investors. And uh, so we've seen several companies here over the last couple of weeks, including Anadarko and Lynn Energy, announce that they are 
taking some of their capital that had been previously uh, directed at drilling programs and are directing it to buying back shares in their company to de decrease the number of outstanding shares and thus hopefully increase the, the value per share of those that remain outstanding and then returning value to investors that way. And, and so, you know, there's other things some other companies are doing to, you know, try to increase uh, that, that return on investment. Uh, so this is kind of a natural thing. It's, it's just part of, of how these corporations have to be responsive to the market and to the investors. And it's probably temporary. I mean, once, we get a few months down the road, and these companies see their overall production start trending downward. Then they're going to refocus on drilling more wells again, and the rig count will go back up. So, you know, I, I think we may see a drop over the next couple of months, thirty to forty rigs total, uh, but, but not not any you know hundreds of rigs being laid down. So the sky is not falling, so to speak. No, it's not. But this is pretty normal. Uh, all things considered, you know, one of the greatest things that we have on the show is to be able to talk to the regular community to help them understand what all these numbers and what is happening uh, and put it in, in, you know, somewhere where you can make sense of it. Because a lot of times it doesn't. From one week to the next, things have completely <laughs> changed. And, and, and you wonder, like, okay, now what's going on with the energy sector? <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it takes a while to figure it out to make sense of it because sometimes it doesn't make any sense to me either. Right. Well, I wanted to change gears a bit and talk a little bit about OPEC because their chairman once again called for the U.S. shell industry to band together to limit production last week. And that's kind of strange considering that we're the United States and we're a free market-based type of uh, energy industry. And so does this mean that OPEC really does not understand the U.S. antitrust laws and how the U.S. oil and gas industry works? I mean, why would yeah. they make such a suggestion? <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly what it means. I think, uh, and it's it's baffling to me. I so many of these uh, ministers at OPEC and you know Saudi Arabia and Iran and Iraq and these other OPEC countries were educated here in the United States and you know went to Ivy League schools. I went to school with members of the Saudi royal family when I was at the University of Texas back in the seventies. I mean it it. So, so it's not like they, they don't have exposure to the United States and the United and the way the United States uh, business community works, and 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 also, you know, they employ a lot of consulting firms based in the United States, law firms based in the United States. So you would think that they would have people on staff who understand how U.S. business works. I mean, the reality is that. These companies, most of these companies, and companies that drill 90% of the shale wells in the United States are corporations, larger corporations who have shareholders and investors and are subject to the antitrust laws and who all compete with each other. They compete with each other for acreage positions and, you know, pipeline contracts and refining contracts and export contracts now that we can export oil. And, and so even if they could, they, they would not even think about getting together and, and coming to some kind of agreement to, to artificially limit their production. They wouldn't do that because they're competing with each other. But even more than that, it's illegal for them to do so because of the antitrust laws. And it's not only would not only be illegal for them to do that, it, it's even illegal for them to even sit in a room and talk about doing that. I mean, that's 
how strict the antitrust laws are in the United States. So it just it just it's mind boggling to me. Uh, this is the second time we've seen uh, a higher up in the OPEC organization make this suggestion just this year. And uh, it, it just it just baffles me that, that they continue to have this crazy lack of understanding of how U.S. business works. Well, you know, I do believe that um, they're probably listening to In the Old Patch radio show. So uh, yeah, note to, to OPEC, it's not going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> the International Energy Administration announced that the global demand is continuing to rise faster than it had anticipated. Woohoo! Well, you know, some interesting uh, information coming out of the International Energy Administration, uh, David, is that global demand has been continuing to rise faster than they anticipated. Well, what is going on with all those electric cars that were supposed to kill the demand? Well, the, the, the technology's not there, and it's not going to be there anytime soon. And, and the reality is this is, I think, the fourth consecutive year that IEA has had to revise their demand forecast significantly upwards because all these uh, third world countries and Pacific Rim countries have growing economies and they need energy and they need cheap and abundant and ready energy. And that's, that's gasoline. That's oil and gas and coal. And that's what they're going to be using for the foreseeable future. And until battery technology makes a quantum leap, the battery technology we have today is essentially the same as we had 100 years ago. It's just been refined. Uh, we need a completely new battery technology, a quantum leap for electric vehicles to be truly competitive in the marketplace. And until that happens, we're going to continue to have growing demand for fossil fuels. Amazing. Well, you know, I, I want to jump to also there was a, a media piece that came out on the Paris Climate Accord. We all remember that because, yeah. uh, the you know, chicken little, the sky is falling when President Trump decided to pull us out of the Paris <laughs> Climate Accord. Yeah. And since that time, uh, a lot of the countries, as a matter of fact, almost every country except for Canada, has completely uh, pretty much has bowed out of keeping up with their end of the deal on the Paris Climate Accord. So what do you think about what's going on with this whole debacle? Well, imagine my shock that no countries are actually living up to what they committed to in a sham international agreement like the Paris Climate Accords, which was never anything about climate and was always just a wealth redistribution scheme. They created this international climate fund that was going to be majority funded by the United States of America. The assumption was Hillary Clinton would win last year's election and, and be willing to continue to pour hundreds of billions of dollars into that international climate fund. And all these other countries signed off on that accord thinking they were going to get a piece of that gigantic pie of money. Well, when Donald Trump pulled us out of it, because it's just a redistribution scheme, uh, all these other countries said, well, gee, we, we don't really care about the climate. We're not going to do all this mess that we said we were going to do. And so it's all falling apart. And that's entirely predictable and, you know, just proves it was all a scam to begin with. Well, you know, it kind of reminds me, unfortunately, of Obama's history of where he is going to end up because it seems like with every day there just seems to be another nail in the coffin of you know just what was his legacy and what was his presidency and uh president trump has just come in and just annihilated everything but not for bad reasons just honestly because of some of these policies were so terrible and some of like the paris climate accord 
you know, Paris, just... Yeah, Paris was one of the worst. Yes. It, it truly was. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what he's left with in the end, but for that's all we have for this week. As always, great, insightful information you come with every single week. We look forward to having you back next week on the show when we'll catch up with you and talk a little bit more about energy and politics. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And with that, we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Woolpatch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is a very special guest. He's been with us many times. Uh, When he was on the air with us as a past guest, he was actually one of the three Texas Railroad Commissioners. But now uh, we have uh, David Porter, who is part of his new company, which is called Porter Productions and Consulting, Inc. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kim. It's it's great to be back on the radio with you again. I know. We've missed you, and it was so strange for me not to say Commissioner Porter, <laughs> but <laughs> you're a private citizen now, and you've done your your time in uh, helping uh, as a, a public official, and so now you've moved on, it looks like, to uh, different things. So let's get started with, tell me a little bit about Porter Productions and Consulting, Inc. Basically, it's a small company, very small company at this point in time. We have just a little bit of production, and I'm looking to buy some uh, basically non-ops and and royalty interest. Also, the majority of what I'm doing is is uh, consulting with some other oil companies right now, specifically helping a couple of different companies look for some property that they're trying to buy, and then. Uh, also doing, of course, I'm a CPA, as you know, and doing a little bit of a tax planning type work, particularly on acquisitions. So um, a lot of potential stuff to do out there in that area. You're like the trifecta, in my opinion, because while, of course, we have great railroad commissioners right now in place, you know, they all have different strengths and um when I look at you, and of course, there's been a few past railroad commissioners that kind of fit in, in your model, but you know, you, you understand oil production, but then you also have all of the financial uh, end of it as well. So you can relatively look at something pretty simple and see this is a good thing or this is not. And this gave you a great platform to jump off to, as far as I'm concerned, with being able to look and do consulting because you have a lot of great uh, areas that bleed into one uh, making a great assessment or, or doing some real good counseling because of both of those backgrounds um, pertaining to oil and gas, of course. So, well, and you know, I was going to say that don't we all start small? <laughs> I mean, don't we all start when we start a company, your one man team or you, it's you and um, the, the, the person that's making the coffee in the morning and checking the emails. 
Uh, but you also are starting, uh, you still kind of help provide some content for the publication Shell Magazine. And in this latest issue, you were talking about 98 Meridian. Tell me a little bit about what that is, because you're starting that as well. Uh, yes. Basically, I had some money left over from my campaign fund after I decided not to run again. And what I decided to do with at least part of that is start a new uh, a foundation called the 98th Meridian Foundation. And we're really looking at water, energy, and land issues. And uh, if you look at a metaphor of really what Texas is, particularly rural Texas, I mean, you talk about water, land, and energy, and that's really the important essence of, of what's out there. And, and I think there's a lot of issues as we look forward to the future and particularly as the state becomes more urbanized that we need to keep a focus on what makes the the more rural parts of Texas function operate and support their economy, which of course feeds into the economy of the large cities. And I think that kind of gets it in a nutshell. And the reason I called it the 98th Meridian Foundation is if you look at the history of, of the West, the 98th Meridian was kind of the dividing point where the East ended and the West began as far as uh, lack of rainfall, the flat plains, uh, the type of agriculture that you could depend on. Everything changed at the 98th Meridian. Interesting. So it has a little bit of history in there as well of, of some interesting facts to make us all aware of, of uh, you know, how rural comes together with. It'll be interesting to see how much uh, when we look out and see the these metropolitan cities, urban cities, um, you know, how they really do feed into most of what Texas is right now, which is a lot of rural as well. But I, I, I asked you to be a guest on the show today, David, because, you know, you definitely are an expert in the area of energy as well. Well, heck, you know, being a past railroad commissioner, no one knows it better than you. But there's a lot of discussion that's going on right now with um, OPEC and shale and oversupply and and all this good stuff that, by the way, we cover all the time on in the oil patch radio show but there's also other areas of interest all over the world that are also doing uh, or focusing on oil production and yet we hear very very little about what is the rest of the world doing with their oil resources and does it or does it not come into play with when we look at what the u.s shell producers are doing and then of course what is opec doing and so um, I, I want to get your thoughts on that because it's a very interesting topic. And it you know, turns out that a lot of research is reflecting that at some point the tables might not be uh, sitting the way they're sitting right now. And OPEC really might not be in a place where they are the main contributor and um, it, basically setting pricing by what they're doing and or possibly even... Uh, the America shall play, it may turn out that it may be more of looking at other countries and what are they doing and what are they putting on the market in the way of oil that really determines in, in the next years down the road, four or five years down the road and longer, what's the long-term outlook for oil and gas here in the United States and how does it come into play with other countries? I do want to get into that. However, we do have to take a real quick break. 
You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Have you heard of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, the largest state association in the country? 87 years strong, serving independents, and it's right here in Texas. Offices in Houston, Austin, and Wichita Falls. Over 3,000 members of all ages like you who are in the oil and gas industry or who have family members and friends who are. Company members range from one employee to large independents. Lobbying, networking events, and saving you money. For a membership tailored just to fit your budget, contact Sandy Simon at S-A-N-D-I-S at TexasAlliance.org or call 281-997-7223. That's 281-997-7223. Oilfield Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, oil-filled experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is the immediate past chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission, David Porter. David, before the break, we were, I was talking a little bit about OPEC, uh, U.S. shell plays, and then of course there is the third uh, topic that we rarely hear about, which is uh, a lot of production that goes on all over the world that's not necessarily falling in the OPEC cartel or, of course, uh, the U.S. shell plays. And uh, give me a current picture of what do you see right now, like between OPEC and U.S. Shell Place, why are they so important? Why does most of the media right now currently focus on just these two for, you talk oil, you're going to hear either what OPEC is saying or what the North American Shell Players are doing? Well, the the reason I think you hear so much about that is that OPEC, of course, is not one country. It's a combination of several countries. And but added together, they are by far the largest single player. And of course, Saudi Arabia is the 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 top dog in OPEC as far as amounts of production. But they're still only a third of the total Saudi of the total OPEC production. And I'm I'm speaking real rough round figures now. Uh, I, I know if we get real exact figures, we'll bore everybody to death. But roughly speaking, OP, uh, Saudi Arabia can produce about a third of what OPEC produces. But OPEC total is by far the largest producer in the world. But if you add everything outside of OPEC, actually the majority of oil and gas is produced outside of OPEC. It's just diffused by in so many different countries that it doesn't have the have the volume so OPEC and to the extent that it acts as a 
single entity is by far the biggest single entity and player in the oil markets, why everybody looks at it. But over the last 20 to 30 years, um, the relative importance of OPEC has decreased as you know the North Sea production opened. We have several fairly good-sized plays in Africa that have come along, and there's just a lot of a lot of activity out of OPEC. Certain companies, countries, I mean, like Mexico, have dropped out of OPEC that were members years ago. So, so there is a lot of non-OPEC activity. Well, also though, now our U.S. shell uh, players and, and the production coming out of there, we've recently seen a lot of information come forward in, pertaining to new uh, Permian Basin areas of interest that look like they may be even larger than all the uh, resources that are being held in Saudi Arabia. And that definitely, I think, pushes the United States in an area where uh, if we have resources uh, as vast as Saudi Arabia, where does that put the United States in, in the world stage of oil? And I would say that would put us pretty close to Saudi Arabia, if not larger, in our oil supplies. If you want to look at single countries, the three biggest players, and roughly we're talking a third maybe of total world production, like I said, rough figures are, of course, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and the United States. Those those are the three big players as countries. They're all far and ahead of everybody else. For, fourth place is not really under consideration as, as being a, a major market mover like those three countries can be. Now, the U.S. still imports more than it produces. So as far as putting net barrels on the world market, we don't do that yet uh, and won't for the foreseeable future. Uh, Russia uses quite a bit, but exports quite a bit also. Saudi, Saudi Arabia is primarily an exporter, although their internal market's growing somewhat too. But um, so, so you look at those three big countries, and then if you take Russia, the U.S., plus OPEC, then you're well over a majority of the, of the property because Russia and the United States are not members of OPEC. Well, you know, David, the interesting thing to me is between OPEC, the cartel, and U.S. shell producers, they have managed to create and throw off the world market and and it is unbalanced and basically in essence it has triggered the oil collapse that happened and started in 2014 and as a result of that there have been billions of dollars in new development and projects that you know have been shelved all over the world because of these low prices Um, and so I'm wondering talk to me a little bit about so you have these two going on between OPEC and the U.S. shell producers but then, you know, there's this matter of now we also know that Latin markets will be coming on here in the future. And so after the break, I want to come back and talk a little bit about how do these other countries come into play with OPEC and U.S. shell producers. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we will be right back. You know, great companies take great care of their employees. 
Ensure the well-being of your workforce with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. From pre-employment screenings to routine immunizations to on-site injury care and more, trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 866-334-2485. Again, that's 1-866-334-2485. PISA is the Petroleum Equipment and Services Association who is the unified voice for the energy industry service, supply, and manufacturing organizations advocating and supporting continued achievements in job creation, technological innovation, and economic stability. PISA provides corporate membership opportunities in two categories, industry and allied. Over the years, a lot of amazing companies have become members of PISA, but don't take my word for it. Click on the directory on their website and see for yourself. In order to become a member of PISA, all you need to do is go to PESA.org, click on the membership tab, and fill out an application. Once again, that's PESA.org. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three- and six-person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. And you're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Porter with Porter Productions and Consulting, Inc., and former chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission. David, before the break, I was talking about how between OPEC and the U.S. shell producers, um, they've really managed to um, trigger this uh, collapse of the oil prices that started in 2014. And it appears as though it uh, might be stabilizing and, uh, of course, it might be coming back out of low oil prices into maybe moving into something that might be a little bit more profitable for the industry. But there's also um, the area of other countries that are also uh, coming online or it looks like they have resources that are very interesting numbers. One of them uh, specifically is Latin America. But I, I want to start with tell me a little bit about what you see happening in other countries and and who are going to be some of these players that will appear in the future as major players in, in the oil and gas industry well when when you start talking about new potential resources and especially in other countries the the most important thing long term is what the oil price is and now i wish i could tell you exactly what it's going to be but uh my my crystal ball got broke recently. I think everybody's did. <laughs> but 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 that that really I mean I'm being a little facetious, but that that really is the important thing. But but assuming current prices are slightly higher prices, uh, there is a lot of potential in uh, Latin America. I think some some of the biggest uh, potential resources are Brazil, particularly offshore Brazil. There's a thought that there's a lot of oil and gas offshore Brazil. Uh, There's still quite a bit of drilling that needs to be done to actually confirm the size of those deposits. Mexico seems to think they've got quite a bit of offshore potential. Uh, Some of their recent uh, privatization and auctions on their production has been 
promising. So there's potential offshore Mexico. Uh, Venezuela, if they ever get through with their economic and government tragedies down there, uh, it can maybe in a few years take its place as one of the world's larger producers again. They certainly, their infrastructure has deteriorated to the point that uh, they're going to have major problems in the in the near near and intermediate term, uh, producing substantial amounts of oil and gas for export. And as we look at the rest of the world's oil production, though, and um, so we've talked about quite a few. I, I want to talk about like how does that impact us in the way of pricing? Like, are there some scenarios that you can give us for a future supply outlook that w- will be based on? you know, numbers that might actually work that take us through what does 2019 look like, maybe 2022, 2024? I mean, what's your long-term projection or what are these projections looking like? Well, most people are thinking that for the next um, two or three years, we're going to be pretty close to supply and demand equaling out, which means price is going to stay fairly close to where it is now. I think most people, the vast majority of price predictions are between 40 on the on the low downside and 60 on the upside for the next couple of years. Um, there may be a few varying either way, but um, seems seems to be as long as price stays constant, um, production is going to stay very constant in the short term. Uh, Long term. Now we talk about, I mean, there, there's the supply side and there's always the demand side. So the, the, the kicker back there, and you hear a lot of talk about um, electric cars and what that's going to do to oil and gas demand. And there are several countries that have announced that long-term they're not going to allow internal combustion engines. And if, if that really comes about in that, focus, it's going to reduce long-term demand from what people thought it would be, which would have an impact, uh, lowering the, of course, the demand for oil, which would lower the price of oil, which in the long-term would lower supplies from what it would be at at a higher price. So we're, we're still looking at a fairly substantial number of years before most of that comes into effect. But the but that's the one fly in the ointment as far as um, things not continuing the way they are. So that that's something that everybody that monitors the oil and gas market is going to have to keep one eye on is um, how electric cars come about and how big a market share they get. Um, their market share is increasing, but it's increasing from a very low base. So that's interesting, though, because we are hearing a lot of chatter, if you will, of countries not wanting to have um, cars unless they are running off of some form of alternative fuel or batteries. But uh, are we there yet? I mean, like, do these countries have the ability to make that switch? And then the other question that I have is that. So a lot of research is reflecting that even these cars that do have these uh, batteries that are electric batteries, they too require a whole lot of energy and resources to just create these batteries. And 
one research uh, paper that came across my desk was discussing how it takes literally like 800 fill-ups of your gas tank in your car to equal the amount of energy and resources that it takes to create a Tesla battery. And so uh, we are going to take a quick break. When I come back, I want to talk about these cars. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Oil Field Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil-filled equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, Oil Field Experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And you're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Porter with Porter Productions and Consulting, Inc., and former chairman of the Texas Railroad Commission. David, before the break, I was we were talking about how other countries have announced that they uh, are moving away from gas cars and moving towards having nothing but electric cars. And uh, that's kind of shocking to me because, one... Um, I don't necessarily know if I would like to be told we're not going to import any more gas cars. <laughs> uh, so, th- so that's a matter for me of, you know, I don't necessarily know if I like somebody infringing on my rights that way. But more importantly, do you feel that this industry is really there? It, are these electric cars really there to provide those many cars? And um, is the technology there that allows them to drive and fill up very quickly with uh, their power sources, and are there enough power sources all over uh, to, um, you know, keep these cars on the road? What are your thoughts? I am seriously questioning whether right now today that the technology is there for electric cars to totally take over the market. I, I honestly don't think it, it is. The question comes, will it be there sometime in the future? And, you know, to protect project where technology is going to be 10 years down the road is pretty risky and and they may get there but uh there's still serious questions about the amount of energy that'll be used producing those cars and also we've got to remember electricity a lot of it is going to continue to come from uh, natural gas for the foreseeable future so they'll still still be a certain component of petroleum marketing going into even the making of electricity in in electric cars. Well, one media piece that came across my desk I found extremely interesting, and it was discussing how the batteries that are put in these cars, um, Teslas, et cetera, those type of of vehicles, the uh, um, electric vehicles, that the batteries themselves go, they're, they're huge in the way of energy zappers and resources. So the equivalent was... Uh, the analysis was you could literally fill up your gas tank 800 times and the amount that it took to fill up your vehicle 800 times was also the amount of resources that it took and energy to make that one battery. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, where did we get ahead in the way of the environment here? <laughs> how, do, how does that happen? And uh, it might sound good, but behind the scenes, it probably isn't as, as energy efficient and uh, as great for the environment as as we're being told. 
if you think about those numbers, and that's pretty insane numbers when you look at what it takes to build a, a, a battery for these vehicles. In discussing those batteries, I want to switch gears just a little bit, David, and talk a little bit about Porter Productions because no doubt uh, since 2014, prices have been very, very low for uh, oil. And I'm wondering, what is your assessment on, do you see now at this point, um, are people wanting to sell their production and their mineral rights? Um, Has that peaked already? I mean, we have been in this since 2014. Tell me what you see on the market and what is a port of production seeing? People I talk to that are trying to sell, for the most part, um, I mean, there, there are a number of people out there that would like to sell production, but what I have discovered when you start looking at the production, start negotiating with them, they're really valuing it still higher than current market is. Uh, they're a lot of times valuing it on what I would say is $70, $75 oil rather than 45 or $50 oil like we have now. So so even since 2014, they, they, they haven't gotten there yet that the, it's not the same price anymore. Yeah, it, it seems like a lot of folks are still, they've lowered it from the $100, but they haven't lowered it to current market price yet. So there's a lot of property on the market, but. Do you think that they don't, do you think that they're waiting? Do you think that, that they think it'll come back, even though I can't find any research that kind of shows <laughs> over 75, if at that, but um, do you think it's they're waiting? I, I think a lot of people, are hoping, uh, have convinced themselves that it's going to come back from where it is now. And at some point in time, it probably will come back to a certain extent, but it's, um, hard to justify buying property for, for more than, than current price without, especially looking at the price forecast over the next several years that we, like we discussed and being fairly fairly steady for the next two or three years in all probability. Of course, you know, the oil and gas business is one that um, price fluctuations do occur at very unexpected times, both up and down. So people sometimes get what they wish for. Well, and I mean, if you're saying that, do you really think that we'll go anywhere close and north of 80 uh, with with not understanding what's coming, you know, in the future with not just OPEC, but of course U.S. shell producers, and then of course you've got now um, Latin America that looks like it's very promising and going to come online, and you've got Russia. I just don't see how with so many countries providing these resources and a real push to alternative fuels, how do we ever get back to these rates that are over eighty? It is somewhat unlikely, but you're still, when you look at where a lot of the oil supplies come from, from Africa, places in the Middle East that are subject to revolution, unrest, um, war between neighbors, there's always the possibility that some event will happen that will trigger a a massive reduction in supply and from the, these regions and trigger a price rise. So that that's always, as long as I've been around the oil market and as long as I can look back, there's, there's always been the trigger of something like that potentially happening. 
Well, David, I want to thank you for being a guest today on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. And congratulations, because you're actually going to be the topic of today's trivia question. Hey, be the first person to email the correct answer to this trivia question to radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at shellmag.com, and you're going to win yourself a $100 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, the amazing Brazilian steakhouse. Today's trivia question is, what was the last title that David Porter held at the Texas Railroad Commission? Remember to be the first person to email the correct answer to radio at shellmag.com and you will win yourself a $100 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, the Brazilian Steakhouse. And well, that's all the time we have for this show. Be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch radio show or follow us on Twitter at shellmag. That's going to wrap up another great show. And we look forward to seeing you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then... Adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.